just thankful that we have this opportunity one more time to be together as the people of God. Uh, this has been, in some ways, an unusual Christmas season, end of the year season. We've seemed like we've had just a lot of memorial services, a lot of funeral services of folks leaving us and going into the presence of the Lord. And so when somebody says, well, uh, the Lord didn't answer the prayer for healing. The Lord didn't answer the prayer for healing for Jim Henry and others that we might name. The response to that is, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The greatest healing that the Lord can ever give to a physical body is to, is to take the person who's inhabited that physical body into the place where there just are no hospitals. There are no EMSs. Doctors are out of work, you know. Don't have to worry about waking up in the middle of the night, getting a, a scary phone call because there is no night up there. So what are you talking about? We, 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 we miss them from our perspective, but the one that we're missing, all the prayers for healing have been answered. And to be in the presence of the Lord and and just they're getting it ready for heaven to be home when we get there. That's why heaven is spoken of as home, because our often our mothers are there, and our fathers are there, and our brothers, our sisters, our loved ones are there. So it's no strange place. It's different. It's new. Well, I hadn't planned on talking about heaven this morning, but since you brought it up, you know, Amen. Now, let me get us back where it seems as if we've needed to be this morning. I, have you ever asked somebody to pray for you? And I'm sure the answer for most of us is, well, absolutely. Absolutely, I've asked folks to pray for me and wanted folks to pray for me, and especially folks that you feel like have a connection between earth and the Father's heart. Well, here's a question. What if you could have the Apostle Paul pray for you? Writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, in a sense, humanly speaking. What if, what if you had Paul <laughs> pray for you? How do you reckon Paul would pray? Well, as we start this, this brand new year together, I just, it just, it just been a, one of Paul's prayers for folks he loved that's just really been incubating, cooking in this old hard heart of mine this week. And I just, I just need to point it out to us. I want you to find the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And specifically chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is unique in the sense that there are two recorded prayers of Paul. He wrote out his prayers for the Ephesian church. The, the first one is in um, Ephesians chapter 1 starting at verse 15. But the one in chapter 3 just seems to have so much to say from Paul's heart for those he loved that impact us. 
and, I, and the other one did too, that meant in chapter one, but, but this one is just, is just loaded and relevant, I feel like, for us as we start a new year. A prayer that, that you would pray for yourself. Lord, do these things in me. I, I need these things. But, but also for parents and grandparents and friends with friends, those who may have a, an assignment of responsibility to oversee ones that you've come to care about. It may be, it may be at work. It may be in a ministry assignment. But listen to how Paul prays. Now, now what, what I want you to notice, too, are some things that will be strikingly absent, some things he doesn't ask the Lord for. He's got poor people that are a part of the Ephesian collection of churches. You know, they didn't have one big building where everybody in Ephesus met. They just had to meet in homes or street corners or shade trees or riverbanks. It's wherever the group would get together. But there were, just like today, there are poor folks, there were young folks, older folks, married folks, single folks, families with children, families without children, ones who worked for other people, ones who had people working for them. There were sick folks struggling with medical issues. All of those things that can be a part of, of our gatherings as believers today were more than likely a part of this group that he's addressing as, as he prays for these that he loves. It's just interesting what he settles in on. And he's more than likely looking back on his experience, his walk with the Lord. And what at the end of the day, which would also be at the beginning of a year, the beginning of a fresh start, Lord, here's, here's what I really ask you for in the lives of the people that I care for. Just follow as I read, if you would, starting in verse 14, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and every family on earth derives its name, gets its origin, that he, the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power 
that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to suggest that if the Apostle Paul was called upon to pray for you, even if you're poor, even if you're sick, even if you're married or single, even if you got great kids or you got, or you got kids that are running you crazy, even if you work a job, work for other folks, or if you're the man, here's how Paul would pray for you. He starts in this way, that the Father would grant you according to the riches of his glory. In other words, Paul is saying there's something I'm asking God to give you. The assumption being the ones he's praying for don't have this already. Now, they may have access to what he's going to ask for because of their relationship with the Father. But the reason he's asking the Father to give them something is because it's something that they don't necessarily have or are experiencing right now. Now, keep that in mind. That's important because some of the things that Paul is going to list that he's asking for can sound like they're just things that we can expect and assume and, and uh, would convince ourselves, well, well, we're already living in this place. When Paul's assessment is the Christians, the followers of Jesus that he loves don't have these things yet. These are things that as they look toward the coming year, coming toward the future, they're things that God needs to give them. And the assumption is he wouldn't be asking the Lord to give something that the Lord didn't want to give. So he's not having to convince the Lord to do something God doesn't want to do, but he's asking the Lord to do something for the Lord's people that the Lord's people are going to need. So what is that? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. He, he, he goes, here, here's, here's my source. The riches of his glory. God's glory. The word glory means the sum total of a person or an entity. It's all things collected under the name of, whatever your name would be, or in this case, under the name of God. It's all things God, according to the riches of his glory. The word at its root has to do with how you recognize a person, the identity of a person. Well, Paul's wanting us to understand, when I'm praying for the folks I care about, I'm not going laterally. I'm not thinking small because probably he is very well aware that the needs and the lives of the people he cares about could exhaust limited resources. So he's saying, I'm asking the God from the riches of his glory. 
from the riches of who he is, from the riches of his wealth, from the riches of his wisdom, from the riches of his power, from the riches of his love, from the riches of all that he is, an unlimited source according to the riches of his glory that he would grant you, that he would give you, grant you something you don't have, but something he's willing to give you, something I'm asking him to give you, according to the riches of his glory. And here's what he's asking that the Father would grant, that his people, these he cares about, would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with power. The way it literally reads is that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, with power to be strengthened in the inner man. The the first word for power is the word dunamis. It's that we get the word dynamite from. It's, It's a general word for power, though it's loaded with impact, loaded with potency. But he's saying that he puts it this way. According to the riches of his glory with power to strengthen you. The the second word translated strength means vigor. It means means energy. It means life. It means pulse and strength. He's loading these words up to amplify, to magnify his request for power, for strength for tangible, measurable vigor in the hearts of God's people. I don't know about you, but I find this so encouraging. I I, I told Shirley the other day, I'm I'm tired coming out of 2018, and we're fixing to slam into 2019, and I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm not whining like uh, by myself. I, I'm sure all of us kind of feel that way. Great Scott, we just got out of 2018. Here comes January 1 with everything brand new. The blessing in this, the Lord knows that we get tired. The Lord knows that we're going to need strength that doesn't come from ourselves. That it's not about us just reading more verses of Scripture or being about more Christian people or doing more godly things as if that has the ability to give us strength. You realize some of those things can just wear you out even more because they set the bar up there and we keep trying to measure that bar and we're looking within ourselves and we're weary and we're out of breath. Paul, as he looked out across those he loved, and he was looking into some tired faces. He was looking into some folks carrying some heavy loads. He was looking in the hearts of some that had burdens on them that they couldn't bear in their own strength. So he's saying, Lord, Father, I'm asking you to grant, to give, to bequeath, to bestow, to to, to unload on these out of your riches in who you are, inexhaustible in power inexhaustible in any measure of strength, inexhaustible in resources. I'm asking you to grant to these that I care about and that you care, that they would be with power, strengthened. I mean, power poured into more power that turns into further practical, measurable strength in the life of the human heart. 
granted with strength. Folks, sometimes we get the idea, and it's just a religious idea, that all the Lord wants from you is for you to do what you're supposed to do all the time, never ask him for anything, just, just, just keep on keeping on. When, when he says to us, it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. You lose the joy and it turns into drudgery and you're weak. You can be pushed over, blown over, easily distracted. All of that is tied into this thing of God. Paul is saying, God, your people need to be strengthened. Your people need to, with power, being strengthened with vigor, measurable in their hands, out of their mouths, in their eyes, and through their feet, vigor. Lord, I'm asking to invigorate your people. Invigorate not just to run a 5K or to, or, or to run, you know, the Ironman. Invigorate in the sense of that spirit part of you, that, that, that inner part of you that the Lord redeemed and made his own as he came to live in your heart, that there would be fresh life infused into that part of you that will cause you and me to be able to love him more, serve him with joy, forgive people who have hurt us, dream the dreams that he's wanting us to dream in the power of the Spirit, and so forth. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power. Now, how's that power, how's that going to happen? Through his Spirit in the inner man. He's not saying, Lord, I'm asking you to make a way for us to boatload, get everybody up in a busload and carry them off to, even though conferences are wonderful, and we had a great passion conference up in Dallas that a bunch of our, our college students were headed off to, and I'm sure they've come back revved up, fired up, ready to just set the world on fire. So, Scott, you guys just bring it on, buddy, when you, when you get here. But, but Paul wasn't praying necessarily for a passion conference. He wasn't praying for a spirit-filled life conference. He, though those things can be helpful. But you know the only way they're helpful is if they point us in the direction of the reliable source for our strength. Not that we are going to copy a speaker or we're going to just get lost in a sense of a particular worship set as if that's going to He's saying that they'd be strengthened with might by your spirit, Lord, by your spirit in the inner man, in their inner man, that inside part that's deeper than any other part of us. But we've got to keep in mind that we've got the old man, do I have a witness? And we've got the inner man, the new man. We got the old man, the old woman that still wants to act up and sound off and take over and, and rule our lives and in a sense run our lives. But then there's also this, this new man, this, this, this new woman, this, this, this place where Jesus himself dwells inside of us. That's Paul speaks of that in the inner man. But look at what he's saying. Just to assume that my inner man that part where Jesus lives is always going to be chogged full of strength, always going to have plenty of overflowing power is a mistake. 
because Paul is praying. It's in the place that you redeemed, that you raised to life again. We were all dead in trespasses and sin, but God in his mercy quickened that part of us. Ephesians 2 brought us to life with Christ. That inside part of us, that's that inner man, the new man, the inner woman that where Jesus truly lives. But to assume that that is all, that spot of a part of us is always going to just be bubbling with, 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 with faith fire and love fire and wanting to share his his love with everybody is always it's going to be there. It is, it is, it's a mistake because we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, folks. We don't surprise the Lord when we, when we have to admit our humanity to him. I think he finds that as just real good news, that you know the limits of your own abilities. So therefore, when you know what you can't do, then you're going to be relying upon me for the things that I can do. And that's where Paul kicks in here. That's what what he's praying. Lord, in the place of their inner man, in the place where there is the capacity to believe, to love, to serve, to forgive, in that place, Lord, I'm asking you to pour into them fresh strength, fresh strength, fresh strength by your spirit, through your spirit, in the inner man. And then in verse 17, the result of that is strengthened with might through power, through your spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, some of you have read this five million times. Some of you have read this verse since before the earth crust hardened. You know, I mean, you're so familiar with it, but we can miss it. We miss what he's saying. He said, well, I don't know what he's saying, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. All this power manifests so that Christ may dwell in your heart. I mean, what, what, what is Paul saying? I've invited Jesus to be in my heart. I've asked him to come into my heart. Well, what's Paul saying? Just because you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins does not necessarily mean that you sense his presence in your heart. It may just be a brain thing. Nothing wrong with a brain thing. But Paul didn't need to write these words. He didn't need to say these words if what he was asking for in the way he intended it to be expressed was already existing in the hearts of the church. That, that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Not the sense of his presence occasionally manifesting itself, but his prayer is, when he uses the word dwell, Lord, I'm praying that by the power of your spirit, you will do such a work in their inner man that there will be the sense of your permanent dwelling in their hearts. He doesn't use the word for mind. That would have been a completely different word. But he uses the word for for hearts. It encompasses the mind, but it encompasses the emotions. It's as if he's saying, Lord, I want them to know that you really are in them. That you really are there. That you're not some long distance, got to only see you on Sunday. Or when I'm with my Christian friends or when I've got praise music going on, you're only that kind of God. Permanent dwelling of the manifest presence of Jehovah. And here's another thought. Christ, he doesn't use the word Jesus or Lord. 
He specifically says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, I've had a, I've had some, I've asked to talk to the Lord about and ask him about that Acts 1-8 verse where Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And then you go right from Acts 1-8 into Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Spirit and those 120 witnesses began to verbally declare the love of God, the mercy of God through the person of Jesus Christ. But it was always, it was connected in that sense to speech, to saying something as if we are to conclude that to be filled with the Spirit is only going to be registered when I'm opening my mouth and I'm saying some things behind a microphone or to a group or wherever it may be. Paul clarifies, gives further insight, not contradicting Acts 1-8, but I want you to see this. He's clarifying and taking further what the promise was that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, so that Christ may dwell in her. The word for Christ is the New, the New Testament word for Messiah, the Old Testament word, Messiah. Christ, they're synonyms, they, they speak of the same person. It means the anointed one, the anointed one, the anointed one. I'm going to say that two or three more times. The anointed one, the anointed one, the anointed one, so that the anointed one may dwell in your heart through faith. Anointed one means imbued with heaven's power supernatural power for a specific task or tasks for a specific period of time for the specific purpose of God. Oh my goodness. I, you just let that settle in. It's not about Sunday at church. It's not about a men's or women's Bible study only. It's not about just Christians getting together to do things. It's anywhere you are, anybody you're with, any time of the night or day for as long as it may be, that Christ, the anointed one, anointed himself with power to do what he has been sent to do, has the ability to anoint you to do what he has assigned you to do what you find yourself in the middle of a situation that requires, that you don't have the ability on your own to figure it out, to put up with it, to forgive them, to love them, whatever it requires. But because Paul is saying, I'm asking you, Lord, to make the presence of the anointed one who has the ability to anoint those in whom he dwells, I'm asking the, anointed, the presence of the anointed one to take up the sense of permanent residency in the hearts of your people. Now, folks, listen, that's just huge. That, that means that, that it's, it's settling in our hearts that we're not orphans, 
that we're not just, we don't have an offensive coordinator calling the plays and we're out there running the plays as best we can, but he's up here sending the signals and giving us bad grades on the fumbles and the incomplete passes. It is the Christ, not up there, but the Christ in your chest, the Christ in your mind, the Christ in your heart. Why does he use the anointed one? Because we need heaven's power to do the things that the Lord will assign us to do. He'll put us in the situations where it's his strength, his power that makes it happen. Now, there's some of you sleeping right through this. I'm not calling any names. Just, well, 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 well. Get on to a funny story, preacher, you know. Get on to some cute little one-liner. Listen, this is all about how knowing Jesus can make a difference, can set you free, can put joy in your heart and a vision in your soul and a dream in your life that will take the boredom of just being a person carrying a Bible and trying to do Christian things and it will so completely outdistance that that you will wonder what in the world was that other stuff all about. I want to know him, Paul says, in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. But I want to know him in his power. So whenever we find ourselves in situations where we are overpowered, where we don't have it on our own, instead of looking within ourselves and having it being confirmed, you don't have what it takes. That it causes me to look back in the direction that Paul's prayer identifies. I'm going to the one, I'm going to heaven's source where there is no lack, where there is no shortage. He lacks nothing. And I'm asking him to grant me to be strengthened with his power by his spirit in my inner man so that Christ will dwell in my heart. Folks, listen. Christ dwelling in your heart with you walking into a room and not saying a word, there's the possibility and the probability that folks will have a sense that somebody else just stepped in this room. And it won't be you, but either one who dwells in you, strengthened with might, by his spirit in the inner man. Let me get back to this prayer. Then he says, Christ may dwell in your heart so that Christ will through faith, through faith, through faith, through faith. How does Christ dwell in our hearts? Through faith. Well, where does the faith come from? Faith comes from having been strengthened by the spirit working in our hearts. That's, that's what this is all tied together. If, if, the, if, if the desired result is the sense of Christ alive in my heart, present in my heart, and Paul will say that's going to be by means of faith, then he's also saying that you've got to have your, strength, your faith strengthened, church. Not, not that I've got to find somebody that can copy their faith. That'll fail you. Or if I discipline myself, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe, Lord, I'm stacking all these Things up here that I need to believe you for. Believe me. That'll last till about lunch. I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. And you, you can say it with your mouth and know it's not true in your heart. Or you can say, Lord, I'm just Ephesians, I'm, I'm, I'm Ephesus number 438. That's me. 
I need my faith strengthened. I need you to strengthen my ability to trust you, my ability to believe you. I need you to do that, Lord, because I can't do it. You talk about getting set free as a child of God when you realize there is nothing the Lord expects you to do that he knows you can't do on your own, that he will not give to you if you will ask him for it and seek his face. Lord, fill me. Fill me. Help me to be able to believe. That's what Paul is praying. The point is Christ, the anointed one, dwelling in my heart, enabling me to do things that I could never do on my own. But that is contingent upon my being able to receive it, accept it by faith. Well, therein lies the rub. Great, great truth, but I have a hard time staying at that place of trusting him. That's where Paul knew what he needed to ask for and how he needed to pray. Now, I want you to notice, he'd not given anybody a formula to get well. He's not giving anybody a formula on how to get rid of cancer, how to get rid of heart disease, or giving a formula on how to, you know, have a Maserati instead of a beat-up Toyota. What's he asking for? He's asking for the things that he knew in his heart were the treasures and the most priceless things and the most important things and the things of great contributing power that nothing else in this life could ever give. So he directs us. Jesus, 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 Lord, by your power, by your spirit, strengthen them with your might so that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Strengthen their faith so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. You see that? That's all, it's all tied together. Now, I know somebody's sitting out there saying, oh, this is from somebody else. This is from Mother Teresa. Oh, by the way, since she came up, the saints, the saints in the Bible are not the saints that a religious machine has created in more recent years. Saint this and saint that and saint the other thing. The scripture, your Bible, calls every child of God who has received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He calls every one of us saints. There is no special category of super spiritual whoever's and whatever's. That doesn't exist in the scripture, does not exist in your Bible. Now, I think part of the reason that was manufactured is so that we can, we can blame better behavior and living like a saint on folks that are somewhere else. But I'm just, hey, I'm just a what I, you know, I'm just, I'm just what I, well, listen, child of God, child of God. Jesus who calls you to himself, who's wrapped you in his love, who's embraced you with his eternal forgiveness. If he's called you unto himself, called you out of darkness, called you into light, that's what a saint is, holy ones, then he has the ability, he has the power to change your want to. So that what we thought the want to that used to run our lives and direct us, that that can be reversed and changed and transformed so that we begin to want to do the things that please him. Now, that was just because that came up that I addressed. <laughs> so anyway, I'm speaking to saints here. I don't have to grow, go to Rome to find me a saint. 
Uh, this, this is those who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, saints. So what he's saying is, that to all those who know Jesus, these things are accessible for you. These, these, these are parts of your inheritance as a child of God. May be able to comprehend, or he said, go back to 17, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? Like the breadth, length, height, depth. The bottom of verse 17 and the top of verse 19 give us the understanding for what Paul's talking about in verse 18. He leaves verse 17 talking about rooted and grounded in love. And in verse 19, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. This matter of the breadth and length and height and depth is somehow a comprehension that only God can give by his spirit of the love of God, of the love of God, that you may be able to comprehend, that you may be able to get it, that you may be able to lay hold of it and make it your own, what is the breadth, the breadth of the love of God? How wide is his reach? Is it narrow to just one particular type of person? One particular group with a specific accent in their language. Well, one particular part of the world kind of people. For God, Jesus said, so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Nobody had repented yet. Nobody had gone to Sunday school yet. Nobody had been baptized in the name of Jesus, yet when Jesus spoke that word, he said, I'm here to tell you, Nicodemus, that God loves the whole world. The whole world. Without exception. Unrepentant, lifestyles all over the place, business practices all over the map, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only blessing. That, that, that's, that can be identified as the width. But what about the length? How long did he love you before you owned him as Savior and Lord? How long was he on your trail? How long? And when will that give up? When will that quit? The length of the love of God. Where did it start? Where did it end? It's as if Paul is saying, when Christ is the permanent resident and felt and known in your heart, what you're going to know and be overwhelmed with is how loved you are and how loved other people are. It, it, it has a way of shutting down this, this, this short-tempered judgmental deal. That sometimes as Christians, we, we forget how sorry we were before Jesus began to change our lives. And somehow we get this pseudo-spiritual attitude that we can look down on this lifestyle and we can look down on that kind of behavior and these kinds of choices as if we, we have the right, because now we've seen the light, 
Oh, the problem is we've forgotten what, how deep in the darkness we were. And we've lost the sense of the breadth of the love of God. A fresh revelation of the lover of the soul of this world to your heart. Rip open your arms and will stretch out your feet and your hands to become more in sync with the compassion of God, with the patience of God. Amen? If Christ is going to live in my heart and he's going to send us to the world, we're going to be going for the world not because we're mad at the world, but because we care about the world. Jesus came because he loves, not because he was ticked, but compassion brought him. The length and breadth and the height and the depth, the height. Where does this love, where does this love come from? Is it the love of people? The love of this world? Paul said, this is what I want my people, your people, Lord, to get. I want them to know, I want them to understand as they're being strengthened by your spirit and inner man that that love that they are feeling came straight out of heaven. It came from you to them. They couldn't make you love them. But you chose. You sought us. And then we seek you. I want them to know the height the height of love, and then the depth. How deeply low will he reach to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from hell and the grave. Yes, I came to seek and I came to save that which was lost. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, not from a pew seat, but from a bar stool or from wherever, a junkie's house. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued. Now, folks, I'm not making this up, and I'm not trying to stretch the interpretation out beside, beside the bounds of proper interpretation and exposition here. It, it is Paul is praying, Lord, will you cause the presence of the living Jesus to be freshly, daily, hourly, minute by minute, the fresh presence of Jesus known within your people so that from the sense of your presence, there is strength to do the things that you're anointing them to do and then there is love, there is love. They'll know that they're loved when the world rejects them. They'll know that they're loved from the highest heaven is in place and untouched and irrefutable and irreversible no matter who walks out on them, no matter who turns against them. It's grounded in their heart. I want them to know the love of Christ. And then, he, then he, I got to finish here. He says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ specifically, the agape, the unselfish, the undying, the unconditional love of Christ. Now, why that word Christ again? The one endued with power specifically to rescue them. That if there had been no other sinner on the face of the earth, 
that heaven would have anointed the Christ to come and rescue that sinner right there. That they will know specifically and personally that they have been the loving target of the love of Christ. They would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now I'm just telling you, he doesn't leave a building plan. He doesn't leave architectural drawings for the 20th century, 21st century church. He doesn't live a step-by-step process as to how you can clear all your debts and how you can live in the lap of luxury, luxury and have a house in every state. He notice it. I'm not, is that right? He, he, doesn't give, he doesn't give a formula for here's how you get rid of stuff in your body. Though Paul understood how to pray for the sick, and we pray for the sick. But more important than physical healing, more important than jumbo CDs, more than you can count, is the fact that you know in your heart that if everybody else walked out on you, you are loved from the highest heaven, brought up from the deepest hell, reached as broad as the east is from the west, and carried through in the arms of the Jesus who rescued you and saved you. And more important than anything else is knowing that in your knower. Lord, strengthen them by your spirit in the inner man and the inner woman so that's what they'll know. The love of God. The love of Christ for them. Surpasses knowledge. And then as if he didn't need to add any more to it, the spirit gave him this line. So that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Filled up, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in my heart by faith, being given the ability to recognize this vast sea of the love of God, knowing the love of Christ, that being revealed to me, given the ability to understand and embrace the love of Christ, which is beyond a, so that the result being that these poor people, sick people, married people, single people, happy people, sad people, all these people, no matter their state in life right now, not when they, this isn't about heaven, this is about knowing this kind of demonstration of the power of the love of God in this life, that they may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Do you see how Paul could say, since that's true, I know how to have a lot of stuff, and I know how to have very little. But I've learned in any and every circumstance, that I have everything I need. I have everything I need in Jesus. So that's a trite little form. Well, let me tell you something. You, you just wait till your corporate climb blows up one day. You, you, you wait till the stock market, and you don't have to wait too long these days. Well, they just, it just goes down the toilet. And there went your 401k. Then what? The hope, the anchor, 
is in stuff. The hope, the anchor is in people. We can set ourselves up for disappointment. That's what Paul had in his heart when he prayed this way. Lord, make so real in their hearts your presence because you don't ever disappoint. Because, well, he, can, he can disappoint if some of our dreams that we've made up, that we've fashioned, don't, don't work out because he's got something better. It's something different, but he hadn't failed us. Lord, I'm asking you to make your presence known to them so that they will know your power when they feel weak, when they have an assignment that is bigger than they are. They'll know your power. But then they'll also, they'll also know that nothing can shake the strength of your love for them. Come hell or high water, come feast or famine, it won't matter because they have been strengthened with might by your spirit in the inner man. Amen. Amen. I just want to encourage parents to, as we pray that for ourselves, that we pray that for our children, for our grandchildren. We pray that for our spouses. We pray that for those we care about and love. So what if you leave your child $5 million cash? No debt, just cash money. But in the process, they have never known the love of God in their hearts. So that there's, there's a vacuum. There's a God-shaped vacuum. We keep trying to chase things to fill the God-shaped vacuum. The old thinkers of decades, years, centuries ago would say, we keep searching for stuff to fill the vacuum inside of us that only God can fill. So we can ruin our children. We can ruin those we love. Ruin them. Ruin them. By thinking that money is the answer to everything. Or freedom without any kind of discipline is the answer to everything. So Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer. Father, I'm asking you to grant to these you love and to these that I love, to be strengthened with power by your spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith and that they will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge so that they may be filled up, filled up, filled up to all the fullness of God. The only reason you could come at me with a never opened before one gallon bucket of bluebell homemade vanilla, <laughs> that it would have no effect on me. I could walk away, pay no attention to you, is if I'm already full. If I'm already full. Temptation loses its power when the Spirit is already full. So Paul knows that. Satisfy him, Lord. Fill him up with your fullness. 
So this other trash, this other junk won't have the appeal that it did before. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Happy New Year to you. And may we pray this, this, this being the new you, the new you in this new year that the Lord wants us to experience this year. Would you stand with me, please, just right where you are, and prayer partners, if you'll join me. I, this is, I feel like we've got to do this before we make it as a part of this closing prayer. But one of the ways that the Lord has of showing his love for us, one of the ways, not the only way, but he has the way of reversing physical conditions. He has a way of healing the sick. <laughs> he has the way of just lifting depression or lifting fear or compression right out of a heart. And there are many of you in this room who could raise your hand and say, that's true, because he's done that in answer to prayer for me. I want to ask those of you who have something going on medically right now, those of you who are listening, watching, wherever you may be, there's something medically going on. I want to ask you just to where you can, just, just put your hand on that part of you. And I want to pray for you and pray with you. Lord, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you have all authority. You have all power in heaven and on earth. I thank you, Lord, that you have said that it is by your stripes that we are healed. We leave to you the dispensing of how that is to work out. But you've also said we have not because we ask not. So, Lord, today, with our hands touching the places, the parts of our body, mind, and soul that are afflicted, have mercy on your people, Lord Jesus. Jesus, Son of David, as Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you healed him. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we ask you to do. In the name of Jesus, in this room, in our bodies, around this world, whenever this message is heard in the coming days, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to heal our bodies, our minds, our souls. Because you love us. And Lord, if you give us the sense that this isn't the time, this isn't the hour that's going to happen right now, the Lord will trust you to give us fresh faith to believe you've got it, that you've got it, that we're not an orphan, that we are loved. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.